you're new here, if you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby area. If I've never met you, I would love to meet you before you head out. So please stop by just for a moment. Before we get into our passage here, there is a, um, a reconciliation conference that we are hosting, uh, the Gospel and Ra Racial Reconciliation, on January 24th. Our second value as a church is that we are a multiracial community, bridging racial, cultural, economic, gender barriers. And we are having an event to have a conversation on this. And uh, really, ideally, I, I would love to get as many people of our church here because it's such a core issue to who we are as a church and how we're called to live there. Pete will be there, Greg Howes, one of our uh, preaching pastors, and Lisa Sharon Harper and Gabriel Salguero, just great voices that have given themselves to this topic, and I know we're going to have a great time that day. It's from 9 to 3 or so on uh, January 24th. So you can sign up on our website or downstairs uh, before you head out. We've been in a series uh, talking about uh, prayer, and this is our second week. We're beginning the new year talking about prayer, and uh, I'm going to preach about intercessory prayer today. Uh, a real uh, a different component of prayer. Last week we talked about asking, seeking, and knocking. Today we're going to talk about that as it pertains to intercession. And I want to give a vision for you so that when we walk out of here, our lives would be given towards this prayerful practice. And so Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1, uh, hear the reading of God's word. It says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 guards. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know, like he didn't know this in prison, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. 
And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. What a great story. Let's pray together. Father, we offer this time to you asking that you would speak to us in clear, profound uh, ways that we will walk out of this room, out of this building, having encountered you through your spirit, through scripture. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. One of the greatest tasks of the church uh, that we have is to intercede for each other and to intercede for the world around us. And I came across a story this past week that got to the core of the power of intercession. The story was related to a professor and a preacher named Tony Campolo. Uh, Tony was scheduled to preach at a uh, Pentecostal college in Pennsylvania. And before the service began, eight men escorted uh, Tony to a back room and in Pentecostal fashion, had him kneel on the ground and they placed their hands on his head and began to pray for him. And Tony thought that this was a good idea at first, but the longer they prayed, the more fatigued they became. And the more fatigued they became, the more they began to lean down on Tony's head. And the more they leaned on his head, the more Tony began to wonder if this was a good idea in the first place. And to make matters worse, one of the men uh, wasn't even praying for Tony. This, this, this gentleman was praying for somebody else. And the guy's name was Charlie Stoltzfus. And Tony remembered the prayer. He said, this guy prayed, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know, Lord, that trailer on the right side. And Tony's remembering, thinking, do you think that God needs to be reminded exactly where this guy lives? God knows where this guy lives. But the intercessor kept praying. And he said, Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife. He's going to leave his three kids. Lord, step in and do something. Bring that family back together. And the men finished praying for Tony, and Tony shared his message at the chapel. And after the service was over, he excused himself. He, he pulled onto the Pennsylvania Turnpike to return home. And as he's driving on the turnpike, he notices a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And, and Tony Campolo faction, he decided to give the hitchhiker a, ride, hitchhiker a ride. And this is what happened next in Tony's words. He said, I picked up this guy, and we drew, uh, drove a few minutes, and I, I said, Hi, my name is Tony Campolo. What's your name? And the guy responded, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. And at that moment, Tony Campolo couldn't believe it. And, 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 and at that moment, he got off the turnpike. He got off the next exit and head back. And, and, and the guy started getting a little uneasy because he started returning the other way. And he said, hey, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And Tony Campolo responded, I'm taking you home. And the guy narrowed his eyes and said, why are you taking me home? And he said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? And the guy said, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's right. And at that moment, the guy plastered himself against the, the window of the car and did not take his eyes off of Tony Campola. And what really drove him in was the next thing he said. And the next thing he did, he drives the man up to the silver trailer. And when he pulled up, the guy began to ask, his, his eyes are bulging, he asked, how did you know I lived here? And he said, God told me you lived here. 
And when he opened the trailer, the wife exclaimed, you're back, you're, you're back. And, and Charlie whispers in his wife's ear and, and talks about who this guy is. And her eyes started getting bigger. And, and Tony, with real authority, began to say, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk to you, and you guys are going to listen to me. And he said, man, did they listen. He said, that afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. Now, when we hear that story, we tend to uh, give the props to Tony Campolo because he was the one who drove. He was the one who took them back to the trailer. But really, the real star of the show is the man who interceded, the man whose heart was broken, who was interceding for this Charlie and for his family. And this is why we're called to the discipline of intercession because intercession is one of the ways that we love other people. Intercession is very simply praying for someone else's well-being, but not praying in a superficial kind of a way, not praying in a half-hearted kind of a way, praying in a way that is deeply moving. I, actually, I love what Richard Foster says. Richard Foster, a great author, says that the prayer of intercession requires something from us. It requires our heart. When we hear and see the news and our hearts want to turn away from the pain and suffering we see, the prayer of intercession calls us to stay present to the pain and to pray for those who are suffering. You've done it before where you're watching television and an infomercial, a commercial comes up for children suffering of starvation in another part of the world. And if anything like me, the first thing you're doing, you're looking for your remote control so you can change this to something happier. You don't want to cause a, you know, you don't want to be down in your home. You change the channel. You want to find something oh that's better because when when pain comes we want to do everything we can to avoid it instead of entering into the pain offering words to God for the sake of the world in our text this morning we come across a beautiful story that shows the incredible power of intercessory prayer the book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it gives a great picture of how the church flourished and how the church encountered the power of God. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of, of how the kingdom of God came through Jesus and was available to him. The book of Acts really is a part two to the Gospels as it tells the story of how the kingdom of God came through Jesus, through the church. And one of the things you see in the book of Acts is the centrality of prayer. Prayer permeates the entirety of the book of Acts. When the church begins and it's birth, the church is birthed as a response to prayer. When people are healed, the prayer comes as a response to prayer. When direction is needed, which way should we go? Should we go here or should we go there? God will respond as a result of prayer. And in our text, Peter is set free because of prayer. In this chapter, Peter is the leader of the church, and he's arrested. And up to this point, the church is growing, the church is flourishing. And in the process, the church is upsetting religious and political leaders of the day. And so Herod has him arrested. And he puts him in a maximum security prison. And Herod had just killed James, one of the apostles and leaders of the church. And it seemed as if Peter was next. And so Peter is in a situation that is beyond anyone's ability to change. And no one can change Peter's situation. There was no church SWAT team that can go and rescue Peter outside of the clutches of Herod's grip. No one was skilled enough. No one was strong enough to overtake prison guards. From the looks of it, there's nothing 
that anyone can do to change the situation. And like the church in this chapter, we continually find ourselves in situations that seem beyond our ability to change. The pain of life can be so overwhelming that it doesn't seem that anything will change. When we see racial tensions in our society, it seems as if this is beyond our ability to change. When we see war and terrorism and genocide, as we saw in Australia and in Paris and in Nigeria, it seems as if this is beyond our ability to change. When we see family breakdowns and the disintegration of families in our society, it seems as if this is beyond our ability to change. When we see disease and illness and cancer and Ebola spread throughout the world, it seems as if this is beyond our ability to change. But in moments like this, we have to come back to what Jesus said. And Jesus said, with all these things, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Racism and inequality can change because with God, all things are possible. War and terrorism and genocide can change because with God, all things are possible. The family breakdowns in our culture can change because with God, all things are possible. Disease and death will change because with God, all things are possible. Can you say amen to that? And this is why intercession is so important. Because when we pray, we are tapping into divine power. We are tapping into God's divine resources. When our prayers go up, God grabs these prayers and unleashes them to the world. And this is the, really the greatest motivation to pray, that God hears our prayers and he uses our prayers to change the world. And so this is why in moments of difficulty, in moments of opposition, it's important that we don't fall into two extremes of living life. In moments of difficulty, moments of, of opposition, what tends to happen is we, we either fall into resignation. And resignation simply says, this is how it will always be. This is how it was for my grandmother. This is how it was for my mother. I guess this is how it has to be for me as well. We, we, we look at the world and see the same stories happening over and over and over again. And we say, I guess this is how it will always be. But intercession comes against this sense of resignation. And beyond resignation, the other extreme that we have to be careful we don't fall into is not just resignation, but relying on human strength in which we say we can fix this without God. And so intercession calls us to respond to resignation, and it causes us to respond to reliance on human strength. Now, surely we, we are called to do all that we can to work for the healing of our world. This is why I'm for peaceful protesting. This is why I'm for community activism. This is why I'm for Christians getting involved in the political sectors of society and the cultural sectors of society. But all these things are important. But all these things alone will get us nowhere unless God empower us, unless God strengthen us, unless God do something in us that we can't do on ourselves. There's only so much that we can do. And in the past few weeks, I've been reading about the civil rights movement and how powerful it was. And, and I read an article of, uh, this past week of, by Coretta Scott King, Dr. King's wife. And she talked about the, the, the preeminence of prayer as they were protesting. 
and prayer as it pertained to the civil rights movement. And this is what she says. She says, prayer was a wellspring of strength and inspiration. During the civil rights movement, uh, during the movement, we prayed for greater human understanding. We prayed for the safety of our compatriots in the freedom struggle. We prayed for victory in nonviolent protests, for brotherhood and sisterhood among people of all races, for reconciliation and the fulfillment of the beloved community. She tapped on something. They recognized something, that apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. And so intercession calls us to a third way of being in the world. That when we see our challenging situations, whether at home, whether in our city, or whether in our world, we are called to rely on God to do what we cannot do in our own strength. This is why I love verse 5. In verse 5, it says that Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. And my favorite word in that verse is the word but. There's power in a but. That sounds a little strange in church, but. Because uh, but. Whenever, whenever you say but in the middle of a sentence, it's almost as if you're negating what was previously said. You see this in romantic relations. I love you and I like you, but. And at that moment, you know, oh, something bad is about to happen right now. Something bad is really, I love you, I like you, but we're breaking up. It's just like, oh, the, the, the but just negated everything you previously said. And, and I love it. While Peter was in prison, but the church was praying. And Luke writes that when the church is praying, he's letting us know something that God has a way of responding to the people of God when we pray. And so Peter is set free. And actually before he's set free physically, he's set free emotionally and he's set free spiritually. Because the story says that while Peter was waiting perhaps for his execution, he was sleeping. This in itself is a miracle. If you were about to die the next day or get your sentence that you were about to die the next day, I doubt that you are sleeping in the jail cell. You're, you're, you're fueled with anxiety, and yet Peter is sleeping in the midst of 16 guards in a maximum security prison. And we might chalk it up to say, Peter is a man of faith. Peter is a man of God. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is the church is praying for Peter. And because the church is interceding for him, he has a peace that passes all understanding. Because the church is praying, he's able to live in his reality differently than he would if the church wasn't praying for him. And so God has set it up that our prayers become the means by which he acts in the world. That heaven and earth move. As a response to our prayers. And the world knows nothing of this. This is actually foolishness to the world. Because it sounds foolish that God would take very simple words that we articulate from our mouth. And he would grab those words and he would release those prayers onto the world to change the course of human history. It makes no It's foolishness to the world. But what's foolish to the world is wisdom to God. 
And what's weak to the world is strength to God. And so God takes our simple, heartfelt prayers. He gathers them and he scatters them. And he uses our prayers to change the course of human history. This is why Walter Wink said that history belongs to the intercessors. That at the end of human history, we really find out that the movers and shakers of human history is not in the Oval Office, is not in the Senate, not in the House of Representatives, not in the seats of power. Right now, the course of human history is being altered by some grandma praying, rocking on a chair. By a prisoner praying, who's, who's experienced the love of Jesus, praying for the sake of the world. That for prayers by monks in a monastery right now, praying for the healing and the restoration of the world, history belongs to the intercessors. For the people that will take God at his word and trust God and offer their hearts to God, that's what's changing the course of human history. This is why we are called to pray. Because God hears our call. And he responds in power. And so we're called to call upon God. And here's the beautiful thing in all this. God takes our very weak faith, our mustard seed faith, and he responds in power. And here's how I know. It seems that when the church prayed in this passage, they prayed without expecting God to answer them. And this is actually a very funny passage. It's actually one of the most hysterical passages in all of the Bible. Because the church is in prayer for Peter. And I imagine they're crying their hearts out. Lord, save Peter. Set him free. Lord, we love Peter. He's our friend. He's our leader. Set him free. And as they're crying out to God, an angel sets Peter free. Exactly what they prayed for. Somehow the guards are asleep. Peter breaks out of prison. This is the easiest prison break in recorded history. And I love that because for Peter to get out in his own strength would have been impossible. But with God, he makes the impossible look easy. And so Peter gets out and, and Peter realizes this wasn't a vision. This is reality. And, and he runs out of the prison to rejoin the church. And he finally figures out where they're at. And he gets to the house, and I imagine he's hungry, I imagine he's thirsty, I imagine he's, he's so tired, and he gets to where they're at, he look, hears inside, and he hears that they're praying, Lord, set Peter free, Lord, set him free. And he's like, they're praying for me. They, God answered. I can't wait to see them. And so he starts knocking. And Lord, help Peter, Lord, please. Oh, Lord, we're not going to stop praying until you set him free. And Peter is... Please, in your strength, you're stronger than Herod. You're stronger than the guards and Peter. And at this one moment, there's a woman named Rhoda. She's one of the servants. She hears this knock. They're praying, and she's like, what's that knocking about? And she hears the knock again, and she walks to the door, and, and, and she goes, who is it? Rhoda must be from Brooklyn, you know. We just don't open the door for anybody. Who is it? It's Peter. Peter who? <laughs> Peter, the guy you're praying for, Peter. And I mean, she can't believe this. She's saying, this can't be true. And she got the little peephole, you know, how we have in the apartments. And she just, she looks there and she goes, that looks like Peter. And she, and she pulls it down. And she thinks, she looks back, back. What? This can't be true. And she looks again. And he's going, Rhoda, it's me. It's Peter. Goes, no, that can't be true. She rubs her eyes. No, no, no. This, I must be having a vision. And she looks again the third time. And she goes, it's Peter. 
He's actually here. And the funniest thing happens, instead of opening the door and saying, Peter, you're here, the door is shut. And she walks back to the church. Peter's free, everybody. Peter's free. And Peter's still. Peter's free. He, it's here. He's back. But the door's closed. And, and as, a very side, uh, as a side thought, I found it very fascinating that it was easy for Peter to get out of prison, but it was hard for him to get into the church. <laughs> that is a sermon in itself. Busted out of prison, having a hard time getting into the church. And so Peter's knocking again. And she goes, it's Peter. I know it's him. And they go, stop playing with our emotions. We know Peter's locked up. He's going to die tomorrow. And so I'm telling you, I just heard his voice. He goes, well, well, it must be his angel then, his guardian angel. They're making up all the stuff in the world here. And, and Peter's knocking on the door. And finally, Peter's probably banging the door down. And they open it up, and they are astonished. Now, what's really fascinating about this is I was thinking about what's the moral of the story for us? What's the moral? And what I was going to say, that the focus of the story is for us to pray with great faith. Not like the church did in the New Testament. We would pray with anticipation, with faith, with hope that God will respond to our prayers. And I was going to go down that direction. But upon closer inspection, I I thought, I don't think that's the direction there. I think there's another angle that we need to focus on. And here it is. What we need to focus on is not the lack of faith that the church had. What we need to focus on is the power that God exhibited through the weak faith of the church. And that is fantastic. Because there are many times where I offer weak prayers to God. I offer doubting prayers to God. There are times where I have a hard time even praying. And God takes the very little faith prayers that I offer to him. And he breaks people out of prison. Because the story is not about how we pray. The story is about God's power. And so set yourself free from this. God takes mustard seed faith. The little that we have, and if we give it to him with a, faith, a heart of faith, whether it's small or whether it's big, God takes what we have. And he answers in great power. And this is an encouragement to you. You might feel, I, I'm having a hard time even praying. My prayer is filled with so much doubt. Offer it up to God anyway. Because he has a way of taking the little and making much out of it. And the church, they couldn't even believe that it was Peter. They were praying with very little expectation. And even with their little expectation, God moved in power. At the end of the day, all power comes from God. And we're called to be faithful in asking and seeking and knocking. We're called to be people that call upon God for the sake of our world. And this is why intercession is important. Intercession is critical because minimally it does two things to us and in us. First, intercession moves us beyond ourselves. Intercession moves us beyond us. It is so easy to focus on ourselves when we pray and keep the circle of concern very small. Lord, bless me. Bless my wife, my two kids, us four, no more. <laughs> Amen. It's very easy to keep the the circle of intercession very, just over here. 
If it doesn't impact me, I'm really not going to pray much about it, but, but I'm going I'm to pray to those things that are close to me. And so intercession expands our circle of concern until we embrace the pain of the world in the same way that God does. We are wired to be concerned about matters that directly affect us. That's why for many of us, the level of grief and sadness that we experience typically intensifies with close proximity. If something happens close to you, all of a sudden you're grieved. If you hear something in another part of the world, not so much. Think about it. Think about, how the, think about this past week with the atrocities that took place in the world and how the media addressed the atrocities in the world. In Paris, we had 12 people killed by a terrorist. Just terrible, you know, horrific news. And at the same week, we had 2,000 children killed in Nigeria. And yet the vast amount of emphasis was what happened in Paris. Because we're, we can relate a little bit more to that city. It, 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 if it happened there, it can happen here. And so our hearts can embrace Paris and pray for Paris. But Nigeria, where is that at again? I don't even, where, where's, and all of a sudden our circle of concern is minimized. Think about what happened with Ebola. When Ebola, when there was a case of Ebola in the United States, people were praying like we never prayed before. Out of protect, you know, just my own self. My, I, I don't, I, Lord, Lord, I pray I don't get Ebola. Lord, please let me not. I pray for healing over the nation, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. And we're praying because I don't want to get Ebola. But at the same time, thousands of people have died in Liberia. And did we even offer up a prayer for the people of Liberia? Experiencing atrocity upon atrocity. Intercessory prayer calls us to move beyond our circle of concern. To move beyond ourselves, to embrace the world in the way that God embraces the world. May this week be different when we see the news. May our hearts break for people we'll never meet. May our hearts break for situations that we never, we'll never step into that country. May our hearts break for it like they, were, like they lived down the block, like they were part of our family. That's when we know, oh, we've hit something on intercession. When I'm grieving in the way that, as if this has happened to a family member, I am grieving with people who suffer in the world. This is one of the reasons I believe why uh, one of the good things that came out of last year's my, my, my health battle with tuberculosis. Because I realized something that God gave me a gift that I never really had before. God gave me the gift of empathy for people who suffer through my sickness. And in the past, somebody say, Rich, pray for me. I, I'm feeling sick. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. And I would pray. But there's something different when you experience a significant illness yourself. All of a sudden, when someone says, pray for me, my son or whatever is experiencing this, my prayer life is different now. There's an empathy now. I feel what they feel. And this is why the pain can be a gift to us because we're able to enter into the pain of others and empathize with them and offer our heart to God in their place. It moves us beyond ourselves. But intercession does another thing. Intercession calls us to a life of trust. The fact that we're interceding is a sign of our limits. I can't save someone. Only God can do that. I can't heal someone. Only God can do that. I can't change someone. Only God can do that. And I'm called to be faithful in seeking and asking and knocking. 
to rely on the God who can change what I never could. We're called to intercession. Finally, before I, I give us a moment to actually do some intercession for each other, in the New Testament, there is a beautiful picture of someone interceding. And it's not the church. There's another picture of intercession in the church. And this picture of intercession is both comforting and, both mis- and mysterious. And it's hard for me to wrap my mind around what's happening here. But we, take, we should take great solace in this reality. That with the book of Hebrews, when he writes these words, that therefore he, speaking of Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The comforting and mysterious nature of this passage is right now Jesus Christ is praying for you. And I'm trying to wrap my mind. What the how, what, this doesn't even make sense. How, it says he lives to make intercession. Many of us, we live to make money. We live to make a name for ourselves. We live to get the, He lives to make intercession for them. You are on Jesus' mind all the time. You might say, no one's praying for me. Uh, Jesus is praying for you. And if there's anyone who knows how to pray, it's Jesus. According to the will of God, praying for you right now. When you go to bed at night, know this, Jesus is praying for you. When you wake up, know this, Jesus is praying for you. Where you're in traffic, know this, Jesus is praying for you. Where you're in setbacks and high moments and low moments, know this, Jesus is praying. He lives to make intercession for you. And that should strengthen us and comfort us. That even though someone might not know how to pray for us, he does. And that's one of the ways that he expresses his love for you. So this is what I like to do as we close here. I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and I want to give us a moment not just to talk about intercession, but to intercede. Be one, one thing to talk about how to ride a bike, and we never ride a bike. Because it's like at some point or another, can I ride the bike? And we're called to intercede for one another. And the story, the beauty of the passage is we're not just called to be the church. We're also called to recognize that everyone on, every one of us in this room, we're also Peter. In some form or fashion, we are bound. And as God would have it, for many of us today, the way that we'll be set free is not through greater willpower. It's through the intercession of someone else for us on our behalf. This is why when someone says, hey, Rich, can I pray for you? I never, I never say, I go, absolutely. Because I realize many times my own liberation and freedom is going to come not because of my willpower and discipline. It's going to come because of the power of God flowing through somebody else. And so I want to position us right now to pray for each other. This is how I like to do it. I'd like us to get in, in groups of three. And we're going to spend just a few moments praying for each other. And what I'd like you to share, uh, and this is an invitation, not an imposition. And so if you don't feel comfortable for whatever reason, don't feel like you have to participate in this. But know that there's an opportunity for you to really experience something powerful. What's impacting you today? What's, what's the thing you woke up with on your mind? What's the thing you went to sleep with? And I want you to share that briefly with the person in, the, in your group, groups of three if possible. And then I want you to pray for the person on the right. So share what's, uh, what's impacting you and then pray, releasing faith.
that God can break shackles off of people. And it might be your need. It might be someone outside of this building that you want to pray for, that you can offer that. And if you're not a Christian here today, if you're like, oh, man, I can't, now they're asking me to pray. Oh, what is this about, you know? I, I like you, if, if you feel more comfortable with a wish, wishing someone well, you could do that as well. God hears your prayer. He hears your wishes, and he can respond accordingly. And so get in groups of three. Introduce yourself, share what's impacting you, and then receive a prayer and then pray for someone else, and then I'll close our time together. And we know that because we pray in the name of Jesus, you hear us. Lord, I pray that you would take every prayer request, everything that was offered to you, and that you would move in power. The same way that you set Peter free, would you set us free in this room? Would you set the people that we prayed for outside of this room, set them free as well? Release the chains of bondage, the chains of addictions, the chains that keep us down, Lord. Would you release us from it? May we celebrate in the days to come, in the weeks to come, the ways that you've responded to our cries. And so we thank you that you hear us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. As we close here, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. And uh, there's some, not too much space here. The, uh, the prayer team can maybe stand on the platform here and we'll figure this out here. We end every gathering with uh, intercessory prayer to be prayed for each other. Maybe you're here today because you realized you're carrying such a heavy burden. You just need someone to pray with you and pray for you. That God would take this burden off of your shoulders. Or maybe you came in with some sickness or some uh, despair or some depression. And we want to pray for you. And so our prayer team will be to uh, my right here. We have an opportunity to see God move in great power. And my, my hope is that this week that you be sensitive to how God is leading you in your prayers for people maybe that you don't even know. And that you would not, when you hear painful news, that you would not just turn your heart from there and turn your mind from that and ignore it, but that you would enter into, that you would stay with it. That's why we have the cross in the middle. He, Jesus stays with us in pain. And we're called to stay with each other and stay with the world in pain as well, offering our words to God because he hears us when we pray in the name of Jesus. And so as we close here, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, to heaven to receive a blessing. And as we end, you can exit through the two exits there in the back as well. Our prayer team will be right here. And with your hand in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with a greater awareness of the way that God wants you to intercede for the world around you. And may you pray in confidence that the words you offer, God hears. And may you begin to see God move in great ways in the weeks to come as a result and response to your prayers. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the interceding name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Grace and peace, everybody.